welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that is focused on the creators and inspirations of the Star Wars saga. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are going to be taking a look at J.W. Rinsler's eight-issue adaptation of uh, George Lucas's earliest draft of the film that became what we knew as Star Wars, The Star Wars, a very ambitious book that goes back to basics and really it, the whole purpose of it is to give an idea of what it was that uh, Lucas had going on in his brain when he wrote that first draft, uh, you know, oh, so many years ago. So we take a look at this. Mike, my first question is, did you read this at the time that it came out or is this your first time with it? This is my first time with it. Like, I remember when it came out and it was one of those things where I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, wow, I really want to read that. You know, I'm totally going to read that. Let me wait until all the issues are out and then I will read that. And, you know, then as as these things go, it's like, well, oh, sure. I've got to read this thing. I got to read this thing. Maybe one day I'll do a podcast about it and then I'll be forced to read it. <laughs> you could see into the future. OK, so this was your first time with it. What yeah. did you think of it? I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, I'm always into these sort of like alternate realities and everything like that in terms of like movies, you know, not like alternate Star Wars realities, but sort of like alternate realities of what Star Wars could have been, or any movie for that matter. And, um, you know, seeing this, you know, seeing like, like you're saying it, it based on like the very earliest, you know, drafts of, of, you know, screenplays or treatments or whatever it is that, that Lucas was working on. I think it's, it's really cool to see the process, to see where a lot of ideas that we would see on screen, maybe not for years to come, you know, where they originated and how, mm -hmm. you know, the writing process evolves over time and how a movie or a screenplay is developed and crafted and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, sure. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, in terms of like, quality of the story like if someone were to be like uh -huh. you've got to read this story this is an amazing story and like star wars was not a thing which i was at all familiar with i probably would have read it and been like with like completely devoid of context i would have read it and been like this is kind of a mess this is kind of a really big mess it hmm. does not work at all but that's kind of the point, you know? Right. The idea is like, yeah, it was a mess because it was a first draft. And after working on it for years and years and years, what it turned into was freaking Star Wars, you know? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the most interesting thing about it to me is I think that um, in terms of enjoyment level, I think that to speak to your point about like reading it cold, if you've if this is your first exposure to Star Wars at all, somehow you've never seen a, a Star Wars film before, you don't know really what it's all about and you read it, I think that the influences of Japanese cinema and the Flash Gordon uh, serials is much more direct in this. 
Yeah. And I think to speak to your point about it being, you know, a quote unquote mess, I don't I don't think that it's a mess. I think what it is is you see the very earliest stage of these two very I mean, Flash Gordon serial and Japanese cinema is defined by Akira Kurosawa and just putting them together like peanut butter and jelly on a sandwich. They do not mix. And it it's pretty cool and I think it's really neat and I really plugged into it but at the same time there's not a blending you know like jelly is jelly and peanut butter is peanut butter and you can force them together and you can enjoy it but it's not the same thing it's it's not it's not meshing the the two do not um come together in the way that uh, you know the final product of star wars that stuff is all interwoven in there and it's it's not as surface level as it is here. It's not, I'm going to take this specific element and put it here and this specific element and put it here. It's much more, here is this new element that came together from these two influences that I had. Well, I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, I've seen this, you know, with, with projects that I've worked on myself, you know, where it's like you have an inspiration you know you say like i want to mix kurosawa and flash gordon you know and you start working on that and you have you know very flash gordon-y elements and you have very kurosawa elements like you're saying and they don't mesh but that's sort of like what's in your mind and as you get those on paper you find the story you find what it is which is working and which isn't working and you gradually leave those things behind in favor of this new creation, which is actually a good idea, you know? And it's like, like I mean, I see that, you know, then, then you know, years and years and years later, you know, you, you see, you know, filmmakers talking about it, and you'll be like, my biggest influence on this was this thing. And you're like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? There's nothing. And and they'll say like, oh, no, because like I had this idea and blah, blah, blah. But it changes as part of the process, you know? It's like, right. y- y- the, I mean, one of the things which I think, you know, is, is the sign of a good filmmaker, you know, and uh, Lucas is, I think you could say, a good filmmaker. Um, I would definitely say that. <laughs> you know, is the willingness to let go. You know, to say, like, that was, you know, the idea that got me here, and that served its purpose. But now that I have that, now that I'm here, I don't need it anymore. And what my movie needs is to let go and to not have that thing in it anymore. You know, I I think that um, there's also, because everybody knows that, you know... uh, Hike and Katz and and De Palma and everybody helped with some of the writing hurdles that were there, and I think that this is really unfiltered dialogue problem, Lucas. Because <laughs> I, because a lot of, and that you know and this speaks to the the really crazy comic book influence on him too. You know, I mean, I I can't do anything verbatim, but you know, it's like we have to you know fly to fourteen seventy three at Mark twelve to get the you know, the, the S zone to align. And it's like, it's one of those things where there's plenty of gibberish in Star Wars. Words that are made up or make no sense. Neologisms coming out the wazoo. 
but they're not obvious like this where you can look at it in this case or you're hearing it in your head or something and you and you just say that means literally nothing mm-hmm. that like there it's not even we need to go to these coordinates it's you know fly to 11 7 you know 24 to to maximize the vector what yeah. that doesn't even those words don't belong together what are you what are you doing and it, you know so I, I think that that is also fascinating first ship to make the kessel run in less than 12 parsecs you know yeah but that again in context that that really works because it's it's not saying that this is the first ship that uh, actualized the Kessel particle at 37 degrees, which is a, like a line of dialogue in this. And it, mm-hmm. like, that's different. That's like, okay, a Kessel run in this context, there's, there's a ship and it did it in this thing. Therefore he's talking about some sort of speed possibly, or some sort of, uh, you know, as they've gone back and I'm sure, Oh, I hope they don't, but I'm sure they're going to talk about in the Han Solo movie the, uh, <laughs> that that time space itself was shortened because he flew so, so close to a black hole that uh, it said that they had gone a shorter distance, blah, 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 blah. I, I always assumed that the retcon was that, um, you know, the Kessel run was essentially like a speed. You know, it's like going from zero to 60 and being able to do it in less than 12 parsecs is impressive because do most, you really i, I see the thing i know is that's that, a it's a retcon it's a retcon yeah i mean he no but, but see, no but the thing is there's a whole there's like, a whole part a of my brain that speeds up um and goes to first and foremost parsec was not like a common parlance sort of thing like there were plenty of people that in 1977 that sat down watching star wars and he said made it in less than 12 parsecs and it was like that's a speed. Yeah, he's like and, parsec. It's a future second, you know. Right, something like that. <laughs> and but if you look at that, I, I think that that scene can play very easily as him saying it made the Kessel run in less than twelve parsecs, and it it cuts to Obi Wan giving this look of, okay, stop it. Like like, like Obi Wan is thinking like you do realize that parsec isn't a measurement of time, right? That well, I think <laughs> I think that I think that what it is is that Han thinks both of them are just some backwater yokels, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I made the castle run in less than twelve parsecs," and Obi Wan's face is the one that's like, "Oh no, I actually know what you're talking about." <laughs> so let's just cut to the chase. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. yeah that's how I always took the scene. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll get more and more explanation as time goes on. Yeah, well, it is Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's but it's definitely that. To speak to you about the, like the whole how it sounds, you know, like Lucas unfiltered or whatever. Like I, I had the same reaction, but not necessarily so much in terms of the dialogue as like the actual plot. Like as I was reading it, like especially at the beginning with all of the setup and everything, I'm like, this really feels like the prequels. You know, yeah, it, does. it is big. It is very, very. There's so much going on in terms of like politics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a billion and one characters. We're like running all over the place. I, it really, really, really felt like the prequels. And, yep. you know, what you're talking about with like Hike and Cats and everything. I think that that has a lot to do with it because I think that there is a lot of simplification which was going on in terms of the characters because you see a lot of characters, you know, sort of like melded together into, you know, 
you know, it's like, we've got five characters here. We can make that one character and it will work a lot mm -hmm. better, you know? So there's yep. that, there's that side of it. But I think, you know, the other side of it, um, which kind of speaks to something which I always assumed was sort of like BS on Lucas's part is mm -hmm. uh, the idea that like, this really does seem like it would have been unfilmable in 1977. Oh, like, hands down. Yeah, I mean, there's no way this makes it to screen. And I, I know there's a lot of stuff where you could say that it's, you know, artist's interpretation. Obviously, they're doing a comic book. They don't need to make it look like it was a movie in 1977. And because of that, you can have these massive landscapes and you can have, you know, all this crazy technology, which would not have been able to exist back then. But a lot of it is so story-based, you know. I mean, like, I was just reading a thing online where there was some showrunner where they're like... You've got to be careful when you're writing a scene. It's easy to write, you know, um, character walks into a full auditorium of people, but you have to keep in mind that that's going to cost like $13,000 because you got to pay all those extras, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that a, a lot of stuff that was going on in the rewriting process was him writing to a budget, you know? I mean, it, sure. it makes it makes sense to kind of not do that in that first draft and, you know, get all those crazy ideas out there just to see what you have and to maybe spark, you know, creative ways of of, you know, pulling it off. And, and I think what he ended up doing was finding a creative way to pull it off, which is basically saying, like, this story exists, like th this story that we're telling here with all of these epic, you know, uh, uh, battles and, and, and conflicts involving thousands of planets and, you know, politicians and armies and everything, all of that is a thing that happens. But within that landscape, we're going to tell this little story about essentially these three characters who right. are trying to escape from a space station. You know, right, and yes. yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting to see that process. You know, yeah, it, I, it is, and I, you know, yes, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, that there's a lot of aspects of the prequels, but what I think is really what I love most about this, um, besides the art, I think, I, I think that Mayhew's art is phenomenal. I yeah, absolutely it, love every single panel in yeah, this book. It's it, it just really gorgeous, yeah. um, and it, and it really is very obviously inspired by without being a simplistic riff on Macquarie's earliest concepts for characters and stuff like that. And and mm -hmm. seeing Han Solo as the green alien that we knew he was in that early draft is just, you know, it, it tickles, but although, although, I mean, I don't know. I haven't like gone back and looked at mm -hmm. it, but does that not look exactly like swamp thing? No. Okay. He does not look exactly like swamp thing. Okay. There All are right. similarities. Okay. I will grant you similarities, but he does not look exactly like Swamp Thing. Okay. All right. He looks sort of like a hybrid between Swamp Thing and what later we would come to know as Zeb from the uh from Rebels. All right. Fair, so. enough. Fair enough. But um I love reading this. I love reading the annotated screenplays. I love reading all of this stuff, but I love seeing here in action all of the names that Lucas <laughs> held on to. Seriously. I, well, I'm wondering, these like... these are insane names that are so creative, and he he didn't use them, and he said, 
someday I will. Well, and I, he had them all there. That was awesome. Like I'm wondering because I didn't read that much into the background of it, and I know that you know Rinsler would have had to like fill things out and stuff like that in order to make it into a, you know, a, a comic book that works, but. Because there are certain things in there. I mean, like, you see all of the bounty hunters that you see from, you know, uh, Empire in there. And right. I know that, like, some—and there's certainly visual cues and everything that are taken from, like, the prequels even in this. And I'm wondering, like, were those—I mean, like, was Valorum, like, an actual name that was in that yes. original? Okay. Because there, uh, there Val- are a number Valorum- of times— yeah, like v- Valorum is one of the earliest names. Yeah, okay, because there was like a mace in there and everything. Yeah, and well, I mean the the very the very first um, story treatment that he ever presented um, started with the line, "This is the story of Mace Windu, revered Jedi Bendu of Opuchi." Okay, and and people rightly looked at that treatment and said, "Are you on something?" <laughs> um, but that was, I mean, the thing is, for me, that was why when. Um, when I was reading all of the stuff leading up to the Phantom Menace and they're like, and Sam Jackson's character is going to be called Mace Windu. I was laughing because I said, aha, that's his ultimate middle finger to the world. It's mm-hmm. like, you can tell me my space fantasy isn't going to work. Guess what? This character is called Mace Windu. Ha ha. And I'm like, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Deke and Windy, those are names that stuck through all the way to the original Star Wars. We never saw them on screen. We, you know, we encountered them in the radio drama and everything. But he held on to the names Deke and Windy and Anakin and Luke. And uh, although what I will point out, it, what's really interesting is Star Killer. Um, the, the, I forget where I read this, but you know, I'm not dropping any knowledge. But my understanding is that from an interview that I read, that when they were flying to Tunisia to start filming. Lucas still had not decided whether to call Luke Starkiller or Skywalker. Oh, yeah. And he mm-hmm. made that decision like at the last second. Um, and that's that's from an old Star Wars Insider interview with somebody that, you know, that was on the shoot. And they, they said, yeah, I remember being on the airplane. And somebody say, and I, I think he said that Mark Hamill asked somebody, so what's my last name going to be? And they were like, well, it's either going to be Starkiller or Skywalker. He'll let you know when we land. Or, or something like that. Well, I think Skywalker definitely makes more sense for that character, but wouldn't it be yes. really cool to be able to go to Starkiller Ranch? Uh, well, you can go to Starkiller Base in Episode 7. So Yeah, you know. but that's not a real place, you know? It could be. It could be. Okay. Someday. Someday we could we could make Starkiller Base happen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, that that I, I do think that... Um, this is a tremendous exercise in, you know, in imagination, uh, you know, both on Lucas's part and also on Rinsler and Mayhew's part to, you know, to bring it to fruition. And I think that um, the issue zero that explains their creative process and the choices they made, um, you know, especially with the designs is really fascinating. I, I The sale is gone on Amazon, but I, I, you know, even when it wasn't on sale, I highly, highly recommend anybody that hasn't read this should read it. I mean, it is, you got twins, you've got a princess, you've got, you've got Darth Vader, but not the Darth Vader you think. And he's not even a Sith. He's just a dude. And you got the Sith who are enemies of the Jedi, but they can, they, they aren't evil. It's just like rival clans sort of thing. And then when the chips are down, 
and you have two different empires and you have I mean the scope of this is this could have been a 16 issue series and yeah. they they could have made that that work and I mean one of the things you know you always hear about this too but the idea that there's sort of like an epic battle in the third act you know on the wookiee planet you know yeah. and it plays very much like the end of return of the jedi even like yep. to the point of like oh they think that you're a god you know you know that sort of thing um that's really interesting too and it's actually something which you know i don't know i, I i've seen before in lucasfilm projects do you did you see this or do you remember a few years back there was a document which ended up online where it was a transcript of like the first story meeting which was held between lucas spielberg and kasdan when they were breaking the the story for raiders of the lost ark yes yeah, yeah. i do remember that yes. it's it's an amazing thing i mean more than anything else, i mean first because you you can you know read the 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 transcript of these three guys in this room figuring out you know what would become one of the best movies ever made but it's also just really interesting to see how that happens you know and then like there's this one sequence in the middle of that document where they talk about this whole thing where they're on a plane and the plane you know is going to crash because it doesn't have any fuel fuel and they have like a life raft that they jump Mm -hmm. out of and everything and it's like that scene ends up becoming the opening of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. And the three of them are the the three that that came up with it while they were trying to figure out Raiders. And they're like, well, that doesn't fit in this movie, but we're going to hold on to it. We're going to use it, you know, in the next movie. And, you know, you see that here. You know, it definitely, you see stuff throughout the original trilogy. And, um, I mean, you definitely see some things in the prequels as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you if you look at the um, the novelization for Star Wars, uh, Ghost written by Alan Dean Foster, um, there is something in there that shows up in Empire. It was it was not used in in the original Star Wars, and it's when R two goes to the computer terminal and electrocutes himself, and three PO says, "You know, I don't, I'm just an interpreter. I don't know the difference between a power socket and a, and a computer terminal." Mm-hmm. That's in the novelization for Star Wars. Spoilers. Obviously, it didn't make it to screen, yeah. but they said that no, that's funny. We'll bring that forward. Yeah, Tar- Tarantino talks about doing that too. You know, like uh, for, he wrote the script for From Dusk Till Dawn, and then you know, as as the years progressed, he started lifting stuff out of it, and you know, using it in other movies. Like for example, the whole thing with. Uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, I believe it is, yes. um, which you you see in Pulp Fiction. That was originally going to be uh, Harvey Keitel's character at the end of the movie was going to be reciting that as he was. Well, I'm not going to say what he was doing because that would spoil the, the movie for people who haven't seen it. But you know what he was doing because you just yeah. watched that movie like a couple yeah. days ago. I did. Right? I, I, did yeah. I did just watch that movie. <laughs> So so yeah I mean it's it's a thing that that you know filmmakers do which I think is is you know obviously cool and why wouldn't they you know I mean you got this great thing and no one's going to see it in this movie you know cuz you cut it out but hey you can use it in the next one and right. and it's cool to to take a look back at earlier versions and say like that's where that came from that's cool I like that Yeah 
So th this is not my first time reading it. This is my second or third time. I enjoy it just as much each time. You enjoy this primarily as more of an intellectual exercise, sort of like see what, what could have been. This isn't something that stands on its own for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with all of Rinsler's work, but I mean, certainly what I, I know him for is writing these, you know, nonfiction books, which are really, really good at documenting sort of like the history of mm -hmm. filmmaking, right? And right. in a lot of ways, even though this is a, a fictional comic book, what I really see it being more than anything else is another document into the making of Star Wars, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. And yeah. and that's, yeah. I mean, it's it's a really cool thing. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously you can't really do it as a, a uh, you know, a movie or whatever because it would be way too expensive to do that as just, you know, sort of like an experiment. But comic books in a lot of ways, I think, are sort of like the perfect format for tackling this you know and in a lot of ways even better than you know just sort of like presenting the script as is because you know you get to see this sort of like visual interpretation i mean you know it's been done a few times now you know we we've talked about you know the comic that was done for uh harlan ellison's original city on the edge of forever right. script and you know i guess there there's also a uh, an episode of the Batman 66 show that Ellison wrote, which was adapted into a comic book, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, like those things are really cool. And I wish that there were more, you know? Oh, I, I, I completely agree. At the, at the time this came out, um, I remember, I, I believe it was, um, Mayhew, uh, the artist where I, I said, I, I was enjoy, I enjoyed it so much. I said, I would love to see you do one of these for empire. And, um, I, I, I wasn't communicating clearly. I don't think because either him or, or, or somebody else said, yeah, but that wouldn't be a sequel to this. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't care if it's a sequel to that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking yeah. for what was the earliest version of the sequel to the star Wars we got like, yeah. and just see how it changed in, at, at each step. So, I agree with you. There should be more of them. I mean, my goodness, I'd love to see an alternate adaptation for Phantom Menace. See what yeah. what was rearranged with that. And because the thing is, I imagine that it was probably closer to, you know, what Lucas envisioned than any of the previous ones, because he had the you know the money and the power to to do what he wanted to do for the film. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I, 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 you told me that, uh, you know, last week off mic, and and I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, there's the Lee Brackett script, which you can find, you know, online or where whatever, and you know, that's kind of interesting, and certainly there are differences and stuff, but you know, thinking about it, it's like we we do have that in a sense, we do have the alternate version of Empire, and it's. Oh. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But not really. Like, the the thing is, we have the... Splinter is is almost like um, uh, when we were talking about uh, Alien Covenant over on stage nine, where one sequel to Prometheus is Alien, and the other sequel to Prometheus was going to be Prometheus 2. Yeah. And, it, I, mean, I mean, you know, to, to speak to the point, it would be so fascinating to see what, like, a comic book adaptation of 
what the ideas were that they came up with back when they thought there was going to be just a, like a straight up Prometheus too, and before they said no, we got to blend them all together now, you know that that sort of thing. But um, with with yeah. with Jedi, I mean, you listen to Gary Kurtz talk, and it sounds like there is an alternate version of Jedi out there, which is way way different from what we. Well, got. I mean, the, the earliest drafts there were two Death Stars, and there's things with like. Leia becoming queen and all this other stuff. I mean, it sounds like it's a completely different story. You know, there was a completely different story. Well, I think that, um, I, you know, we're never going to get that adaptation probably. Um, pr- and the thing is, I think that we have seen these sort of adaptations for Star Wars stuff at least go away forever because one thing that I will always credit Lucas for is that he, you know, was very open to the idea of opening the vaults of really exposing everything about the process to everyone. And if there's one thing that people know about Disney as a corporation based on, you know, the extras that they put on their movies compared to what other companies do, they're awfully reticent to, you know, open the books as it were to everybody. So I don't think we're going to see, you know, any alternate versions like that uh, going forward. I'd love to see one for Rogue One. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be pretty great, Mike. It would be pretty great. You know, maybe in another 40 yeah. years. You never know. Yeah. Uh, God willing, I'm around that long. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, it's been, you know, I, I think we've had a really good time uh, talking about this. I think we both recommend The Star Wars as uh, adapted by, by J.W. Rinsler. And uh, get yourself over to uh, Amazon or Comixology or the Marvel app, whatever app it's on, and you know, just go ahead and, and give it a digital spin. You'll really, really enjoy it, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you do pick it up and you do read it, you can go ahead and let us know what you thought. You can go over to the nerdparty.com slash contact, look up Great Shot Kid, drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. Maybe you've already read the Star Wars and you want to tell us, you know, was there something we missed? Was there some highlight that you find that we didn't cover? You know, go ahead and share that with us. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, at join nerd party and you can reach out to us on facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party uh, so that's where they can reach us officially mike where can people find you on the internet oh well you can find me on twitter at mumbles 3k or you can find me on my website commentary where i do a show called commentary track stars and you can find me on uh, talkfilmsociety.com doing a show called Soderberg 2828 and you can find me on trek.fm doing a show called stage nine with you that's right that's right with me I am a Kessel junkie uh, out there in the uh, in the great uh, wilds of the internet and you can also uh, find me co-hosting as you said stage nine over on trek fm you can find me co-hosting back here on the nerd party Uh, aggressive negotiations with Matthew Rushing and you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds uh, with my pal Craig Uh, and so that's it for this week tune in next week for a a very special episode of Great Shot Kid (laughs) 